0: Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that'll help you with your life shaped by the Word. Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see you today. I've got some exciting news. Our Christmas presentation this year. I, I middle of this past week we were we're like ninety tickets within being sold out. I think we've we've got less than a hundred tickets for Saturday night and, and still two weeks before that happens and we man, we want to make a way for as many people as possible to get there. So we've opened up a fourth performance. That's gonna be Sunday afternoon. Uh and we can't open up a fifth. All right. This is it. We're, we're done at Sunday afternoon. So uh, we are opening that up. So uh, get word out to your friends, to yourselves. And I uh, hope you will take advantage of that. Hey, another quick thing. Next Sunday, we're going to have a wonderful, wonderful time of uh, Thanksgiving and worship. It's going to be kind of one of our, our prayer and worship services. We'll be sharing in the Lord's Supper. So if you join us online, you may want to be prepared to, to do that together with us uh, there from your house. But uh, it's going to be a great service. I sure hope you'll be here with us and uh, be a part of that. So Thanksgiving week in front of us and I am just filled, 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 filled with Thanksgiving because of you guys. I am am so grateful for you. Of course last week we gave the the check to Mission Dignity to Hans Stilbeck visiting with us. You heard me say that that was uh, over $72,000 that you gave to serving poverty and I just was so proud of y'all. Thank you for that so much. Do you know more has come in, and I, I think we're going to be sending another check. We're going to probably be about over 80000 by the time we're all done. So y'all just, you know, just stop, okay? Anything else you want to give, just make it out, Randy Hahn, H-A-H-H-N, and uh, just direct it all this way from here. <laughs> but thank you for that. And, uh, you know, another thing I've got to say thank you for, you know, I've mentioned couple of times over the last couple of Sundays that last weekend we were hosting or last Sunday to Tuesday we were hosting the SBC of Virginia. You know, and I say that, like we all know what that is, right? And I can only imagine that at least half of you are there thinking, I don't know what that is and I don't care what that is. And that's fine. I would be thinking probably the same thing. But, uh, we had about five, six hundred churches in, and y'all, y'all were just awesome. Uh, the way so many of you came in and just helped clean and move and provide and feed and just, it, it was awesome watching you. A big number of people serving. Well, of course, our, our choir and orchestra led in worship, uh, which is not normal for the host church to provide all that. Uh, But our choir and orchestra was up here for two nights uh, giving so much ministering to these folks. I think the place where I I think almost started to cry, a little tear came in my eye. I was sitting down here worshiping Monday night and our multi-gen choir was singing with our choir that night. So we had all the, you know, the children on the steps and the youth up there. And, you know, it, it, it dawned on me their parents brought them here. And and again, I can only imagine that most of these parents don't know what they're bringing their kids to or care, but they brought them. And uh, folks, if I could just convey to you how much you ministered Uh, to to, to all those churches, their pastors, and the, the people they brought with them. You know, have you ever been to a convention, a meeting? That's like what this was. And you know, there's what goes on in the room, and then there's the scuttlebutt going on out there. And I can tell you what they were talking about out there. They were talking about you. They were talking about how overwhelmed they were by this church. So I just thank you. Thank you for who you are and what you do and how you serve and how you give and and how you worship. You you encourage other churches and other believers. And I I thank you so much for that. Um, So let's go eat turkey. (laughs) Thanksgiving week in front of us. Uh, You know, I was thinking the other day, a matter of fact, we'll do a quick poll here. For how many of you is the way you celebrate Thanksgiving pretty similar to the way you celebrate Christmas? The, the actual day? Mine it, take out the gifts. Take out the gifts. But the way those two days play out, are they similar? Yeah, quite, quite a few of us. Not as many as I thought. I mean, in our home, it's very... I mean, we have pretty much the same basic menu for the big meal. We have the same breakfast. Before the big meal, uh, we kind of have the same nap and football combination going on both days, same family walk uh, after. And then now here's what I, I, I bet what here's what's true for all of us, whether Christmas and Thanksgiving are the same or not. Here's what's true across the board. About 530, six o'clock after all that rich, rich family time, everybody's looking for a little me time. Little You're looking for that spot in the house other than the toilet. I don't know where it is. You're looking for that spot in the house where you can be alone. Uh, you know, because all that family time is so good, right? And so, yeah, no doubt Christmas, we can have these days very similar. Christmas very shaped by the opening of those gifts. And, of course, Thanksgiving is so shaped by our wonderful spirit of Thanksgiving, right? Just filled, filled, filled with gratitude. Right? Okay. Yeah, you know, Thursday will come along. It'll be here and probably looks a little different in each of our homes. Maybe it's around the Thanksgiving table or in the living room, but someone, probably mom, will say, okay, let's go around and everybody say what they're thankful for. Right? Are we? I don't, I really, honestly, I don't mean to be negative or skeptical of your Thanksgiving table or my Thanksgiving table. But I I know sometimes what's going on in my own heart as we jog around the table and give our thank yous. You know, are we really thinking about what we're thankful for? Are we just going to the standards? Uh, I'm grateful for a roof over my head, health, my family, and oh gosh, there was a fourth thing. And you know, obviously, is it wrong to be thankful for those things? No, of course not. Is it wrong to say the exact same thing this year that I said last year? No, oh, no of course not. But am I really thinking? Am I really wanting in this moment to communicate What God means to me. I want to, I want to say that out loud to my, to my God, to my family and friends. I want to communicate just how overwhelmed I am by the goodness and the greatness of God. How overwhelmed, how humbled I am and the gratitude that fills my soul. Is that what's happening in that moment? I think giving of thanks is maybe the most important Christian discipline. In our lives now, I put, I put maybe, I'm, so I'm giving a cushion there. Maybe it's number two or three, but I actually think it's it's number one. It's the most important discipline. You say I didn't know giving a thanks was a discipline. What is a discipline? Well, hey, if you want to build something. If you want to be something, you put disciplines in place. You go on a run, you work out, you eat. There are certain disciplines you put in place because you're wanting to be something. You're wanting to build something. The same is true in the Christian life. And the message today is not on Christian discipline. So we're not going to go through a list. But I can tell you this, when you're filled with gratitude, that becomes a great motivation. That becomes a great fuel for all the other disciplines. And I tend to think it's the easy one. Isn't giving a thanks? Shouldn't that be the easy thing that we do? But yet, not always. Not always. I mean, even, even when our whole nation is trying to do it, we can run around that Thanksgiving table and give almost no thought other than the 30 seconds before our turn to what we're saying in that moment. And what what happens is not only do we not give God what he's due, but we miss out on what that can mean in our lives. Strength, purpose, clarity, the ability to get up when you're knocked down. Anybody been knocked down recently? The ability to get up when you get knocked down, maybe to get up stronger. And there's, there's no greater story of this. There's no greater picture of this than what we've been looking at the last several weeks in the life of Joseph. What a profound ability to give thanks. Now, we're at a part of the story with Joseph where it's kind of easy to give thanks. He's like roughly the most powerful person in the world. I've never been the most powerful person in the world, but I think there's a lot of wonderful accessories that come with that. You know, wealth and and fame and and power and authority and opportunity that's where he's living right now but remember while we look at his life and say well sure you can be thankful in that remember what came before that 13 not weeks not months 13 years of living in a nightmare i mean you you'd think okay it can't get any worse now and it'd get worse Thirteen years, you abandoned God in the middle of that somewhere. What, what, what am I giving thanks to God for? What good is that doing me? And, and yet he did. And yet he did give thanks. How did he do that? Well, that's what we're going to try to understand today. So open up your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 45. We're going to look at two chapters today. We're going to look at a passage in chapter 45 and then a passage in chapter 50. Now, if you're new to our church, welcome. We're sure glad you're here with us. Maybe you're already in town for Thanksgiving and with family. Whatever brought you here, we're we're glad you're here. So how do I describe what you've just walked into? You walked into the last five minutes of a three and a half hour movie. I hope you get it. (laughs) We, we have been studying Genesis since the Sunday after Easter. Today is the 26th message That we have been in Genesis. Now, I think the message will stand kind of on its own, and you can get something out of it. But we are glad you're here. I always like people to know, uh, you know, why we're opening to the passage that we're opening, and and that's why we have been in a series on Genesis, and we are finishing it today, and going to just profoundly have reason to give thanks and praise our God for His final word to us. In Genesis. Let's look there. Chapter 45. And uh, I think I read a part of this passage last time. Chapter 45. Let me begin in verse one. Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room and he said to his attendants, out all of you. You can say that when you're the most powerful person in the world. Get out. <laughs> so he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. And then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him, and word of it quickly carried to the Pharaoh's palace. "'I am Joseph,' he said to his brothers. "'Is my father still alive?' But his brothers were speechless, stunned, stunned, to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. "'Please come closer,' he said to them. So they came closer, and he said again, "'I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt.'" But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. He just let him off the hook, didn't he? He, I mean, he had them right where he wanted them and he just straight up let them off the hook. It was God. Oh, Wait, what? Oh my gosh, he took all the responsibility off of them. And he put all the responsibility of, on God. Don't be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years, and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God, second time he blames it on God. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace, and the governor of all of Egypt. Okay, we'll stop there and and go ahead and turn to chapter 50. Now, if we had kept reading in chapter 45, what you would hear is Joseph, tell his brothers, go home, that's Canaan, Go back to Canaan. Don't worry about your stuff. I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you everything you need. I'm going to. I'm going to give you better than what you have. Go home and and get dad, get your spouses, get your children, get your grandchildren. These these aren't. These brothers, they're not all in their teens or 20s. These are are grown men. They're in their 50s and 60s. Go go home, get everybody. Come back here. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to give give you everything that you need. So that's what happens in chapter 45. Now, as we flip to chapter 50, 17 years is passing by. Okay? From what we just read to what we're about to read, 17 years has gone by. Verse 14. Verse 14. After bearing Jacob... Okay, so that's one thing that's just happened. Jacob, who we come to know as Israel, the nation of Israel, Jacob dies. And they've gone back to Canaan to bury him. After burying Jacob, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had accompanied him to his father's burial. But now that their father was dead... Now, it's been 17 years they've lived... Under Joseph's kindness, Joseph's protection, Joseph's provision. I mean, that seems like real forgiveness, doesn't it? But, but listen, listen to this. It says there, now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back. They knew they had it coming. They knew the wrong they had done. They knew somebody needed to get even with them. Now Joseph's going to get even for all the wrong we did to him, they said. So they sent this most message to Joseph. It's a lie, by the way. Rarely is a lie going to fix things. It's a lie when they say, before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of God, your father, beg you to forgive our sin. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. Then his brothers came, came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we're your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, let's, let's stop right there. I don't think many of us get this opportunity, but maybe some of us had. You, you ever had your enemies in the crosshair? I'm not talking about somebody that annoys you. I'm talking about somebody that left a mark on your life that you've spent your life trying to overcome. You ever had somebody really steal, really take from you, really hurt from you, and then through whatever strange set of circumstances, boom, there they are, and you have, in this moment, the ability to do whatever you want. You ever ever had that? I bet not a lot of us have. Joseph does. Look what he does with it. Don't be afraid of me. You know, honestly, I don't know if that'd been the first words out of my mouth. Maybe like you need to be afraid right now. That might have been the first words out of my mouth. Don't don't be afraid of me. Gosh, folks, this is profound. Am I God? Am I God that I can punish you? You know, does any of us ever stand before a wrongdoer? Do we ever stand before them ourselves, innocent of any wrongdoing? Now listen, I'll give you this. I'll bet some of you have been hurt by somebody in a way that is much worse than you've ever hurt somebody. I I don't doubt that, that there's a number of us in here in which the crimes committed against us are greater than the crimes we've committed against somebody else. But you and I have committed those crimes. Somebody lie about you? Oh, but you've never lied about somebody. No, that's, that's what he's saying here. I don't stand here innocent. I don't stand here of any wrongdoing. I'm not operating from, from purity and goodness and having always done right by others. I'm not God. I don't get to decide that. I mean, we could just stop right here and just try to marinate in that well for the rest of our lives. How, how does he, how's he able to do? Well, we're about to find out. Am I God that I can punish you? Verse 20, you intended to harm me. Your translation said, what you meant for evil. And I've told you, I'm so glad he says that. Because sometimes I wonder, is, is Joseph living in la-la land? Has he left reality? No, no, no. He says, hey, what you guys did, it was evil. That's a big word, right? Hey, what you did was evil, but there's something bigger than you, and there's something bigger than the evil that you did. You know, this is just as true for every one of us in here, and any evil we have dealt with, any evil that we are dealing with. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So be reassured. So he reassured them. Can you imagine having to reassure your enemy? Can you imagine having to reassure? Hey, listen, I've already been nice. If you can't handle it, that's on you. No, he's still reassuring them. 17 years later reassuring them with his kindness. So again trying to, to to keep in front of us the the whole story and for those who were out in the popcorn line and just walked in here for the last 5 minutes of the movie you know put the whole story together Joseph's got these brothers they hate him that's not entirely Joseph's fault is it dad helped in that a horrible horrible favoritism unbelievable, dysfunctional favoritism going on in this house. And that leads the brothers to hate Joseph. And again, when I say, Hey, we're not talking about, I really don't like you. You annoy me. I'm talking about murderous hatred. That's where these brothers got together and they were at the place. They were actually discussing taking their brother's life. And when he gets there, they beat him up. Now, you know, you can get beat up by being pushed around and pushed down a little bit, but what kind of beating up goes with a murderous hatred? I mean, my intent is for you to not be alive in a few moments. But one brother, the good brother, thankful for a good brother who says, hey, let's not kill him. That might be too far. Let's sell him into slavery. Thanks. (laughs) Woo, thank you for the good brother, Lord. (laughs) And they do, they sell them into slavery. And that begins, that right there, aren't you kind of at a point where it can't get any worse than this? And yet, for 13 years, we're going to see it keep getting worse and keep getting worse. Certainly, he is living in and walking the kind of life you have to doubt God. You have to doubt that he's good. You have to doubt that he's in control of anything. There is literally nothing going on in my life and circumstances that I could see the goodness of God. That I could give him thanks for. But he does. In the midst of all that, he is giving thanks thanks well, through a really strange set of circumstances, he ends up prime minister that's, i think that 's what we would call it today. Prime Minister in Egypt and Egypt at that time because of a an, oh, in that whole area of the world of a, because of a famine, uh, Nations are emptied nations can 't feed themselves so egypt 's most powerful country in the world and, and joseph 's running it and it 's it's an interesting story how we got from not being a slave, how he got from prison to being in that position. But there he is, and that's when the brothers walk in. They're, they're over in Canaan. They don't live in Egypt, but Canaan, under famine, that whole area of the world, and they're looking for food. They're starving. They can't feed their families, and that's what brings them before Joseph. And they get there, and they don't even recognize him. And you think, how do you not recognize your own brother? I mean, it was... It was 13 years ago since they saw him, but he was 17, right? The adult features are in. You would kind of anticipate they would know that. And and you know what? Maybe they did notice him. Maybe they did whisper to each other like when they were back in line, hey, that guy looks just like our brother. But they would have never for a second assumed it was him because you can't get there from here. You can't get from slavery. that's where they last saw him. You can't get from there to there. That, that's, that doesn't happen. So no matter what he looks like, that can't be our brother, but God, right? But God. And so there he is. Now they don't recognize him. He recognizes them, and and you that's where we pick up in our story. And, and he shows them who they are, and they're stunned. And did you notice they haven't said a word before they say they're sorry, before they try to explain, before they start stuttering, before anything? Not once, twice. He lets them off the hook. Twice he said, "Don't don't be afraid. You didn't. Don't worry about that." And he's not saying, "Oh, it all worked out okay in the end." No, he's saying, "It's not you. It's God." It's not you, it's God. And you don't see the word forgiveness, but that's what he's doing there. He's forgiving them, isn't he? You know, the word forgive means to let loose, to let off the hook. He lets them go. Hey, there are consequences that should come with your actions, but I, I forgive. I, I let that loose. I let that go. And he, and he forgives them. They don't act forgiven, do they? Again, 17 years they've been living off of Joseph. Nothing but his kindness and goodness. And yet, they're clearly acting unforgiven. Now, we all know what that's like, don't we? Sure we do. And why are we here today? I mean, for the great majority of us, we're here today because I received Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. I believe that all my sins have been what? forgiven i mean we we all believe that you ever act unforgiven yes i'll just go ahead and answer that real quick yeah you act unforgiven and and the arrogance of it at all you know when we act unforgiven when we've committed a really bad sin right i mean I, i i know i can be forgiven of all these but this one oh there's oh my gosh i get and so i feel a lot of shame and guilt for this one and even in that is our arrogance folks because even in that, we're acting like, I can handle these sins. Folks, all your sins separate you from God. All your sins are offensive. Yes, yeah, some sins have different consequences that are more severe. But all sins separate you from God. You need to be rescued and saved from all sins. But you and I identify, oh no, there's only a few that I really need to feel bad about. That's our arrogance. Arrogance but we act unforgiven. You know, I want to make a comment today. Something I've thought of this week in in studying Joseph's life and thinking about the scriptures and and all that goes with this word. It's the word forgiveness. I've had a thought. I've been thinking about it a lot. And uh, I want you to go home and I want you to think about it and I want you to prove to me that I'm wrong or help me know that I'm right. Because I'm going to make a big... I promise you've never heard it before. Your entire life is shaped by forgiveness. There's not one millimeter of you that is not built and shaped by your experience with forgiveness. Now, there's, there's two experiences with forgiveness, right? There's receiving it, and there's giving it. When I don't rightly receive it, like the brothers, I'm operating out of fear. Why am I operating out of fear? Because my life is shaped by shame and guilt. And if I do not receive it, guess what? It's real hard to give it. And because I don't give it, then my life is shaped by hate and anger. I would like to suggest to you that every life in this room, every life online, and all 8 billion others of us walking around, everything you do, every single day of your life, and every single relationship is shaped by shame and guilt, hate and bitterness. Now, i got to imagine there's a few people going, I'm pretty happy all this week. I'm not talking about whether you're happy. I'm not talking about whether you had fun. I'm not talking about if you have relationships that you enjoy. I'm not talking about if you said thank you. Do you realize shame and guilt, hate and bitterness are such the norm in our lives, we only feel them when they get really, really out of control. But most of the time we got them under control. And so out of shame and guilt, I enter into relationships. Out of hate and bitterness, I enter into relationships relationships and that's why you trust them and don't trust them that's why you will do almost anything to get their approval even let them take advantage of you there's just a couple of examples guiding all of us and those words are why everything is related on forgiveness think about that this week and prove that i'm wrong shame and guilt hate and anger and Joseph profoundly has the ability to forgive. No lesson. He, do, he doesn't have to. Now, you do get the wrong you did, right? I got just a couple of points here I want to make. None of that. No giving, no getting. Even immediately, not just words of forgiveness, but a lifestyle of forgiveness. And here they are going, hey, Dad said, Dad said, you know, which brother? Was it all of them at the same time or did one brother have the, oh, my gosh, he's going to kill us. And he got the other brothers to believe it. And so then they make up this story. And, Dad said, you better forgive us. And then Joseph responds in that moment with, I think, one of the three or four most important sentences in the whole Bible. That's a personal opinion. But I think one of the three or four most important sentences in the entire Bible, Genesis 50-20. What you meant for evil... God meant for good. What, what you meant for evil, it was evil what you did, by the way, and it spun my whole life out of control. What you meant for evil, God. Now that, that's a profound line. And as a matter of fact, if you still have your Bible open, look at, look at Genesis 50. And, and you'll notice that's verse 20, verse 21, and then you get to 22 and we're done at 26. So we're, as, as we read Genesis fifty 20, we're just a few sentences from closing the book, right? We're about to close Genesis. Seven months, 26 messages, 50 chapters. We're about to close the book on Genesis and listen to God's voice. Listen to the last words out of his mouth. In this world, you're going to find evil. I will bring good. That's his last line. The, the rest of the lines, if you scroll down through them, look at them real quickly, they're, they're what I call cleanup lines. They're, they're closing the loop lines. Okay, we're getting ready to close the book. I, I got to wrap up a few details. Yes, Joseph died here's how old he was the, the, the few lines are just closing the story for us but 5020 verse 20 is kind of la, it's the la, it's what god wants ringing in our ears as we close genesis now, that's a profound statement it's a statement we could spend 26 weeks discussing do you realize all the theology that comes out of that statement we can discuss good versus evil If if God's all-powerful, why is there evil? If God is good, why doesn't He do something about it? How long is it going to last? When does it... I mean, there's just a lot of questions that come with evil, especially if we believe God is good and in control. But here's one of the secrets to Joseph's life. And I'm going to be a little repetitive here to the last message, very much on purpose, because I need to. You need to hear it twice. And that is the simplicity with which he approached God and God's Word. So I want to make just two simple observations about that statement. Number one, there is evil in this world. Newsflash. We didn't need to hear that. Already knew that, right? But hey, wait a minute. Don't I actually need to? Don't I need to know that God knows? Surely, once in your life, you thought, God, do you know what's going on down here? God, did you see? Did you see what happened to me? Do you? Do you care? Yeah, God is saying, "Hey, there's evil in the world. I, I see it. I know it. I know." that it is there. And again, that evokes all kinds of questions, doesn't it? But there's just a simple observation here. There is evil in the world. And when you look at Joseph's story, I mean, hey, evil hits us from a variety of places. In Joseph's story, it comes from his own family. I guess that's probably where evil hurts the most, doesn't it? I mean, when it comes from inside your home, that's that's where I get to let the guard down, Right? That's where I'm supposed to be loved and I'm supposed to be protected. That's where it's supposed to be easiest to trust. So when evil hits from within the home, the scar's deep. You spend a lot of the rest of your life trying to overcome that. Joseph knows. He knows. Of course, evil can come from outside the home. It can come from a clearly identified enemy out there at work or on the team. Or I mean, they're everywhere, right? And sometimes we can't put a face on it. It's just like, I don't know, vague force or whatever. Man, there's just evil out there. There's evil in this world. Second observation. There is a God, and he's stronger than any evil. There is a God and he is stronger, he is better, he is bigger, he is winning over any and every evil that you and I will encounter and deal with in this world. It won't always feel like it, will it? I mean, that's, that's the incredible thing. How did Joseph hold on for 13 years when clearly evil was winning? How did he do that? Evil is winning. Go, no, no, God is not winning right. There's no way God can be winning right here. And yet he held on to God all the way through that. How did he do it? You know, I, I, I want to say, I think he just took God at face value. God said He was winning, so God's winning. I mean, if you would, please don't ask me right now to prove it because I can't. But God said it. God said it. Joseph approached God and his word with such simplicity. And again, I said this last time. What does that mean? I didn't say it's simple to do, but he approached it with simplicity. God said it. I believe it. God said it. I believe it. And, and here's how profound that is. Ch- chapter 41 is a good illustration of this. God is speaking to Joseph through the Pharaoh through a dream. And in this case, it's about the future. Hey, it's, what's, it's what the next seven years are going to look like, and then the seven years beyond that. And then, and then Joseph says to Pharaoh, now if I were you, here's what I would do. I mean, how do I really know what's going to happen? How how do I know this is right? How do I know what it's going to look like 14 years from now? You realize this is what believing God meant to Joseph. God can tell me something that happens 14 years from now, and my next step is going to be as if it happened 14 years ago. It's a fact. God said it. I believe it. God said it, I'm going to do it. God said it, I'm going to respond accordingly. God said it, I'm going to obey. Because God doesn't just give information about the future. God gives information about you and me and how to respond as we move toward that future. And he says, hey, here's things you need to be and do. And here's some things you don't need to be and do. And for Joseph, that settled it. And we watched him, remember? We watched him obey God and it cost him. I mean, we know the Bible says obedience brings blessing, and it does. God didn't say it would bring blessing five minutes later. Sometimes, and I imagine a number of you in here have experienced it. Sometimes when you obey God, the next moment is going to cost. It's going to cost, but God said it. I believe it. God said it. I'm going to act accordingly. I'm going to beg. God said it. I'm going to trust it. What's the difference between trusting and believing? I can believe God said, thou shalt not lie. That doesn't mean I'm not going to lie. I can believe that God said, thou shalt not lie. But in this moment, I don't trust that God really knew what he was talking about. I mean, yes, in general, God does. But if God knew in this moment right here what I'm experiencing and what telling the truth is going to do, clearly He would not have told me there. See, I don't trust His knowledge. I don't trust His goodness. So, no, I'm going to go ahead and lie here, God, because we both get it. That's, that's what I need to do. <laughs> not with Joseph. Joseph just took God and His Word at face value. And here is, I believe... The secret to Joseph's life. He lived it all on the vertical. God and his word is how he understood life, how he dealt with life, how he made decisions about life. And the horizontal was just where it was played out. That is an earth-shattering, life-changing statement I'm going to suggest you've never heard anything that should rock your world more your whole life. Because you and I do the exact opposite of that. The exact opposite. We use the horizontal to decide if God needs to be worshiped this Sunday. As a matter of fact, Thanksgiving week all across America will be a great illustration of us being the exact opposite of Joseph. We will do a survey of our horizon. We'll do a survey of the horizontal, and then we'll decide what God needs to be given thanks for. You see, I'm letting everything going on in me, I'm letting everything going on around me define who God is and what he's worthy of. We live the exact opposite of Joseph. It's profound what he does. You know, if you begin the story, Genesis 37, read it all the way to 50, there's two words you won't see, thanksgiving and forgiveness. If you open up your Bible to Genesis 37 and you read it to Genesis chapter 50, there are two words you will profoundly interact with, thanksgiving and forgiveness. Why? Why are those two words so important Because you live in a world that is evil. Some of us have been hit by it worse than others, but we're all dealing with it day in and day out. You will deal with evil, and that evil will sink you, or you will rise above it. How do I rise above evil? How do I keep getting up from evil? thanksgiving and forgiveness there's not two other words there's not another formula there's not another way well what in the world would i be thankful for i just got laid off and i didn't get laid off because times are bad i got laid off because that person stole i got laid off because that person lied be thankful my mom just died be be thankful i've got a child who died be thankful man there's mean we can go on and on right I can be thankful because whatever evil I'm interacting with, whatever evil you're interacting with, it's not winning. God is. Yes, evil has an intent. Evil has a purpose for that moment. And God is speaking into your life and my life saying, it's not winning. And that's not meant to be a warm fuzzy Yay, God's beating the evil. It's meant to guide every thought and reaction in your life. It's meant to guide every step you take. Want an illustration of it? Here comes Joseph's brothers who sold him into slavery. And he doesn't even have to pause and pray about it. Because he's doing all his energy and focus is this way. And he just plays it out this way. Here come the brothers, I forgive How can can he forgive? Because he's so thankful that whatever my brothers or whatever the world does to me, God's winning. Do you realize as we close the book of Genesis what God is saying into your life? I'm winning. Act like it. I'm winning. And that's for your good and your well-being. Now, act like literally God is saying stop acting like a loser <laughs> stop living your life in shame and guilt stop living in hate and anger you're only killing yourself but God is so hard no it's not no it's not just look at Joseph i believe in God i believe in God and that he has spoken i trust that is for my good and my well-being So I'm going to act accordingly. I'm going to act like I know what I've heard. And what you and I are going to do most this week is act like we didn't know. I mean, that's an accusation. I shouldn't say that. But that is what we're doing in life. We act like we don't know who's winning. And because, it's, because the game is on the line and I don't know who wins and I've got shame and guilt and hate and anger that are my fuel, then that's how I have to move into every relationship. That's how I have to define every situation. And that's just going to make me not forgive and make me unthankful. And I miss out on a life like Joseph's, strong, clear, always knows what to do. God's not ever going to leave you in a place where you don't know what to do. The problem isn't that we don't know what to do. The problem is that we don't believe what he has said. And we don't believe it's for our good. So I'm not going to act accordingly. So there's Joseph's life. We're done. Done with Genesis. We're finished. Man, think of think of what we've heard. There is a God. He created everything. And it was good. We wanted to go ahead and take a little run at being God ourselves. Because, you know, God told us not to do some things. Kind of put the math together on that and decided God's holding out on me. God's God's keeping something. That's why God gives these rules. He's keeping something from us. Real life is on the other side of those rules. So we took a whack at being God ourselves and we broke stuff. Well, we, we broke everything. So we're going to spend the rest of our lives being victims of each other and victims of ourselves because it's evil. It's evil when you choose to believe you know more about life than God. You know what to do in this moment more than God. We're all pitching in to the evil. But God, boy, he's gracious and kind, isn't he? gracious and kind, says, hey, I'm going I'm to fix all this. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to reclaim you. I'm, matter of fact, I'm going to use you to do it. I'm going to bring about my plan through you. And he reached down and he said, I'm going to start with Abraham. Remember way back then? What was that? Probably June, July. We're looking at Abraham. He picked Abraham because Abraham, man, he was a dude. He was the best person on the planet. No! No! No, that's not why God chose Abraham. That's not why God chooses any of us. He chooses us because of his grace. When God reached down and picked out Abraham, he was an idol worshiper. He was worshiping the wrong God. God chose him. God gave him his promises. And those promises rolled from Abraham to his son Isaac and then to his son Jacob. Jacob, who's going to be renamed Israel i got a plan for the world. I've got a plan for this evil. I've got, I've got a plan, and I'm going to work that plan through Israel. He We call them God's chosen people, God's beloved. He didn't pick them because they were better than all the rest of us. He said, I'm going to give Israel my love and blessing, and Israel, you're to be a conduit by which my love and blessing flows to the rest of the world, to us Gentiles. And you and I sit here today, great holders of God's blessing That came to us through Israel. You might be thinking, what am I holding that came from Israel? I don't know if you noticed a bunch of Jews wrote this. I would imagine a few of us in here would say one of the great treasures in my life is God's holy word. It was delivered to you through Israel. Israel. Not only is the written word one of the great treasures in our lives, but there's a living word. We call him Jesus, the Messiah, born a Jew, delivered to the Gentiles from the nation of Israel. God has a plan, and he's working it through Israel, which is the only reason you can explain and understand why. Why for three thousand plus years has there been an almost universal hatred of the jews hey there's lots of people groups that have experienced genocide that, that, that have experienced the brutality of of other people groups none of it explains and um, i mean we can do it with a smile a- almost a universal hatred for the Jew. And it's not just a, hey, I want to kill him. No, it's a, what can we do so that Israel does not exist? Where does that come from? Satan. It's satanic. Satan knows he can't defeat God, but he's arrogant enough to think, I'm going to keep trying. Satan's, guess what, he's smarter than you and me. He knows the key role that Israel plays in God's plan. So Satan is trying to motivate, trying to fuel an end to Israel because then God's plan will fall apart. To which God says, hey, y'all, I'm winning. I, I, was, I was winning at the cross. I was winning when Hamas attacked Israel. Israel. I was winning when the evil touched your life. I am winning. That's how he he closes the book of Genesis. You broke everything. You're going to experience a lot of evil. I'm going to get you back. And I'm going to win. And when I win, you win. Act like it. Now, I'm not saying this is the only way to act like it, but here's, here's certainly a very significant way to act like it. Give thanks. When you're losing, when you're sold into slavery, when you're falsely accused, when you're imprisoned, and when you are forgotten, and you experience those things for 13 years, you look up to heaven and you say, Thank you, God. I can't make a bit of sense out of the horizontal, but I don't need to. All I need is the vertical. You win, and I will win, so I will keep walking with you. And what did we see? Remember, I showed you one day five different passages. No matter how bad his life got, people around him said, Man, the Lord's with that dude. How could they keep saying the Lord was with them? Forgiveness and gratitude. Gratitude. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Genesis. Gosh, there's a lot there, Lord. A lot for me to believe, a lot for me to understand, a lot for me to respond to, a lot for me to act like I've heard you speak. God, if I could just get your last line down in this book, if I could, if I could just get that one, Lord. Whatever evil means out there, whatever evil is doing, you're going to use it for good. Good in your plan, good in your world, good in me. God, I thank you for that reason alone. When I survey the horizon this week and gather around the Thanksgiving table, if but nothing else I can say, but God. A lot of evil in 2023, but God. God will win, and He will win in my life. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, we pray and say, thank you. Amen. Amen. I don't know about y'all, but I've had a lot of fun in Genesis. God's awesome. It's, It's all right there. And folks, that life for you, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Boy, the way that that really begins to cook with grease. (laughs) The way that line begins to really sing in your life is when you take that step of faith and begin that relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're here today, you're not confident. You're not sure that you have a relationship with the Lord. Want to know how that happens. As we walk out these doors, there's a desk right in the center. It says next steps right above it. I want to encourage you to go out there. There's folks waiting there to talk with you, to answer your questions. However it comes out of your mouth, I, I think they'll be able to figure out what you're asking and help you with it. If you really want to be thankful know that you've been forgiven. If you really want to be thankful, know that you've got a God who's going to win. And you realize he's really saying, act like a winner. Act like a winner. And in Christ, in Christ, you can. Maybe you've got questions about following the Lord and believers' baptism or becoming a member here at the Heights. You can go to that same desk out there, ask those questions, and uh, they'll help you with that. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for all of you. We journeyed together through Genesis. Uh, Next week, special Thanksgiving service message, time of prayer and worship, and then we'll start a Christmas series right at time for Christmas. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much for being here. God bless. Have a great day.